Amen. Are there any lawyers in the house? Good, I can tell you a good joke. If it was a lawyer here, I wasn't going to tell you. All right. This, uh, uh, this uh, engineer died and he went to hell. And uh, when he got there, he, he looked around and he said, man, this place is in bad shape. It's too hot down here. So he engineered an air conditioning system. Air conditioned the place. He said, well, there's no water down here. So he engineered the condensation off the air conditioning and made water. And, and, and he said, there's no travel down here. So he engineered uh, uh, escalators and sidewalks that move and all this. Well, an angel came down from heaven to check out and see how things was going in hell. And he saw all of this going on. He's like, what's going on here? How did y'all get all of these nice things? And the demon says, it's that engineer you sent down here. He said, no, 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 no. He said, there must be a mistake. I didn't send an engineer down here. I said, send him on up here. He's not supposed to be there. And they said, no, we're, we're not sending him up here. We're keeping him. And that angel said to the demon, says, if you keep him, I'm going to sue you. The demon said, and just where do you think you're going to find a lawyer? <laughs> You'll get that later. Uh, all right, never mind. Take your Bibles out if you would, please. Let me get out of trouble here. First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. We are this morning uh, having our last service in this setting here. Um, next Sunday, we will be moving into the new facility. Um, throughout this process, one of the most frustrating things for me has been getting people to return calls and getting them to do what they say they're going to do. Amen. <laughs> the chairs were supposed to be here last Monday. Well, now they're supposed to be here tomorrow at 9 o'clock. A Monday a week later. I was also supposed to have the building, I mean the uh, occupancy permit in my hand Thursday. Well, I don't have that yet either. But I'm believing God I'm going to have it before next Sunday. And we're going to be in there next Sunday. Amen. And so today I'm bringing a message that I think is appropriate for our last service here in the old sanctuary. We've been in here for about 13 years now in this room using it as our sanctuary before that we were a little over a year almost two years across the hall if you look over there now you see all those partitions and dividers that was all added after we moved the sanctuary on this side of the hallway we used to have it reversed and the pulpit was at that end of the room next to the playground so some of you were here you remember that maybe I and uh, we, we started out, we didn't have any carpet on the floor. It was concrete. We had wooden chairs that were left over from the elementary school. And so it was very meager beginnings, believe me. But God has blessed us. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we're Jew or Greeks, whether we're slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. 
If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if there were they were all one member, where would, be the, where would the body be? Verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Verse 24, but our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. That there should be no chism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed there in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts, healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all pro apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, there are no chapter divides in Paul's letter, so I'm going to go right on into chapter 13. I'm going to read seven verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my gifts to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Now, God, I ask that you would just anoint me, Lord, as I preach the message that you've laid on my heart today. God, may we be very attentive listeners, Lord. May we ask ourselves, God, how does this apply to me? Lord, build the body of Christ today through your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when I thought about the transition between our old sanctuary and moving into a new facility, God, he speaks to me in some really strange ways, and I know you probably already know that. <clears throat> I was taken back to the time when I was a little boy, about seven or eight years old, and every day, without fail, at four o'clock, 
I would run into the house and I would turn on our old black and white TV. How many of y'all remember when there weren't any colored televisions, right? They were all black and white. And you had the screen that would roll. Remember that? And you, you would adjust the rabbit ear antennas on top of it to try to get the picture just right. And then we got real sophisticated and got an antenna on top of the house. And then you get somebody up there to turn it. Say, so, oh, whoa, right there. Turn back a little bit. Whoa, right there. That's good. And then the picture would roll and you'd have this vertical button and it would be rolling like this and you'd throw it down and it would be. And then you'd bring it back down a little bit and you'd finally get the picture to stop moving. And then you sat there. <laughs> Every day at four o'clock, and here he would come. Daniel Boone is a man. Yes, a real man. What a dream, what a doer, what a dream come a true was he. From the coonskin cap on the top of old Dan to the heel of his rawhide shoes. The rippingest, roaringest, fightingest man the frontier ever knew. Daniel Boone was a man. Yes, a big man. What a dream, what a doer, what a dream come a true was he. And he'd throw that Tommy Hawk, whoosh, split that tree in half, and I'd be like, wow. <laughs> and then my brother had the audacity to say, Nobody can do that. I said, can't to, cannot, can't to. And then he dared to say that Superman was stronger than Daniel Boone. And then me and him started rolling in the floor. Because he was older than me, but he couldn't beat me up. Superman not stronger than that. Wasn't nobody stronger than Daniel Boone. He was my hero. Amen. Anybody remember, there's some reruns on Daniel Boone. You ought to watch him. Daniel Boone, brother. What a hero. What a dream come true was he. Daniel Boone, a great man in history. He opened the Cumberland Gap, also known as the Wilderness Road. It's a V-shaped gap in the Appalachian Mountains and happens to be one of the most important pieces of land in American history. It's a place where Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee all three come together at the Cumberland Gap. And uh, he opened the passage to the west by uh, cutting a road through the Cumberland Gap. Now the first travelers through that gap were actually the buffalo. It's hard to believe we used to have buffalo in Virginia, isn't it? But they used to be here and they traveled. It was a migration path through the Cumberland Gap. Naturally, the American Indians hunted the buffalo and so they began to travel through that area. Primarily the Cherokee, the Shawnee, and the Creek Indians uh, were indigenous to that area. Later hunters and trappers began to hunt and they discovered the Cumberland Gap. In 1665, surveyors marked that as the royal colonial boundaries. So all of the colonies, that was actually the outer western edge of the colonies. And it was understood you don't go beyond that point. And they actually had a marker there showing that this was the edge of the royal colonial boundaries. Now, Daniel Boone, he was a pretty sophisticated man, actually. We think of him as a rugged backwoodsman frontiersman, but he was actually a soldier. He fought in the French and Indian War. And later on, he served actually two terms in the Virginia General Council, General Assembly. <clears throat> 
his first hunting expedition in the Cumberland came in 1767. And he found it and he, he went there hunting and he discovered the Cumberland Gap and realized this is a passageway to the west. And so six years later, he decided he's going to move back there. In 1773, he took his family and attempted to move there and settle in the Cumberland Gap area. But he was attacked by the Cherokee, in which time his son James was killed along with two others. Now you think about that. There is nothing, I think, more heart-wrenching than for a parent to lose a child. I pray nobody in here has had to go through that. But here he is trying to do something good, and his son is dead. Two years later, in 1775, a wealthy investor from Hendersonville, North Carolina, uh, a town that actually his was named after this man's family, Judge Richard Henderson, he hired... Daniel Boone to go on an expedition back into the Cumberland Gap. He formed a company named the Transylvania Company. But this time he brokered a deal with the Cherokee. He agreed to buy from them land from the, from the Cumberland to the Kentucky River. 20 million acres for 10,000 pounds of goods. It was, happened to be a, um, a sale that the Virginia colonial governor later nullified that sale. Not so much, I don't think, against the Indians, but it, he was opposed to a private individual owning that much property. I think. I'm not really certain on that. So on March the 10th, 1775, Daniel Boone took 30 men with axes and started chopping a road through the Cumberland Gap. Now you think about that. There's probably 30, there's more than 30 men in here. I need 29 volunteers, well, 30 volunteers and myself, and we're going to take axes and go chop virgin timber in the mountains. I don't know if you've ever seen virgin timber in the mountains. I have. I went camping to a place called uh, Cataloochee Mountain. It's right on the border of North Carolina and Tennessee. You can't use any four-wheel vehicles in there. You can either walk in there, backpack, or ride horses. We packed our horses and went back up in there, camped and went trout fishing. And there's timber up in there that three, four men can't reach around. And we're gonna chop that down with axes. From here, all the way to, through the Cumberland Gap to the Ohio River. Okay, 30 men. And so they went into, on their way, March the 30th, March the 10th, 1775, 30 men, in, in this group was his son-in-law and his brother and 28 other men. They took what was known as the Great Warrior Path through the Moxon Gap of the Clinch Mountains. They did that to avoid the Creek Indians. <laughs> you know, you ever heard the saying, I'll see you tomorrow if the creek don't rise? It's not talking about water in a stream. It's talking about Indians. <laughs> if the creek don't rise, if the Indians don't rise up, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. They crossed the Clinch River near what is now today called Spears Ferry, Virginia. And finally, they came to a place where they could rest called Martin's Station. It was a settlement near the Cumberland Gap in Rose Hill, Virginia, today is called. It was founded by Joseph Martin in 1769. He went there and founded it, but had to abandon it because of the Shawnee. Now, if you watch Daniel Boone, who was he always fighting against? The Shawnee. 
Almost every episode, there's a Shawnee Indian, and they got this funny little feather. And they, hey, This was back in the 60s, you know. They didn't look like real Indians. Most of them was white as cotton, you know. <laughs> they, they couldn't find any real Indians to play as actors. I don't know what the deal was. But anyway, the Shawnee attacked them, and they had to abandon the fort. They had come back early in 1775, reestablished Martin Station, and provided a resting place for Daniel Boone and his men. Now that's important because had that not been, that, that had not have been there, they would have been out there with their axes and their camping gear out in the rain and the wind and the cold and no place to rest. So it was nice to have a settlement where you could go get some rest. But once they left there, there was nothing but wilderness in front of them. So after leaving, they were attacked by the Shawnee and a few of his men were killed. Now, instead of having 30 axemen, he's got 20 plus axemen. And they all scattered. Everybody ran for their life. They finally reached the Kentucky River in April. Now, Daniel Boone began blazing the road to the Ohio River in 1775. And over the next 35 years, over 300,000 people walked, rode, or was carried through the Cumberland. He and others established the first settlements like Boonesboro, Harrellstown, Benjamin Logan's. Others went through and actually established some settlements in other places, a place called French Lick, Tennessee. Today it is known as Nashville, Tennessee. You ever heard of it? <laughs> Their efforts led to Kentucky being added as the 15th state in the Union in 1792. What I'm talking about this morning is pioneers. Pioneers. No matter where you come to rest as you travel across the nation, it was settled by pioneers. They cleared the forests, they defeated the enemy, they built their homes, and they offered a future for what would become the greatest nation in the world. All was done by pioneers. Now I want you to put yourself in their place. Here you've blazed the trail where there was none. You're cutting down trees that you can't reach around with an axe, dragging it out of the way with horses, opening a road and a pathway. It's hard, hard work. Your hands are callous, solid. Your back is sore. You're having to work constantly watching because there's a constant threat of the enemy coming in to kill you to stop your efforts, you sacrifice. You've watched your family and your friends suffer. You've buried your family, your friends. And you settle in a little cabin when it's all said and done. And this is going to be my home. And if you're lucky, you've got a milk cow and a few chickens. And that's living big, amen? So here you are, you got a little hole cut out in the woods, you got a little cabin, and you can't see anything but trees all around you. This is just a little spot you cleared out. It was said of Daniel Boone that he could see smoke rising from a canyon, cabin way down in the valley. And he said, hmm, starting to get kind of crowded around here. I don't think Daniel said that because he wanted to people to come in. Actually, he built Boonesboro so that people would come in. Now, after all this hard work, here you are, you've done all this, 
And here come the settlers. This guy shows up and he's a store owner. Dressed nice, hands smooth. Walks straight, his back's not bent over from all that hard work. He's smart. He knows how to get wagon trains back and forth to bring the goods in. And all he does is sit there and wheel and deal with the Indians and with you, the pioneers, and with people traveling through, going to the West. And before long, all your hard work, you're still living in your little cabin with your milk cow and your chickens. And this guy is living big. He's got this and that and everything off of your hard work. Behind him comes another guy that's sent out there by the government to open a land office. Because now all of a sudden, this land belongs to Kentucky. And they're going to tell you what you can and cannot do with it. And so they bring all these policies and these procedures and these rules and regulations and laws dictating to you what you're going to do with the land that you have cleared out. And they're telling you all these rules and policies and things are necessary to handle the crowds that are coming. Behind him comes the banker with all of his fine clothes and his gold chain and his watch. And, and he's looking good, man. Got his nice top hat on. Here you got your coon skin, your buck skin, your little cabin and your cow and your chickens. And this banker is living large. And then behind him comes the lawyers. And they start quoting laws and regulations and threaten you with jurisprudence. You don't even know what a jurisprudence is. Is that something you pick off of a tree? What is that? You know, and they're living big. Next thing you know, here comes all of these people bringing a railroad through here. And when the railroad goes in, then the crowds follow. Multitudes of people. You got to have some place for these people to work. Then comes the factory. They put up factories, establish commerce, large-scale operations. Then they decide, well, we need to get a mayor to this town. We need a sheriff. We need deputies. And naturally, you're going to choose one of the pioneers to do that, right? No, 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 no. One of the settlers becomes the mayor of the town that you carved out of the wilderness. Pretty soon, the pioneers are just a figure in history. They're all but forgotten. Just a memory. Most of the people there don't even know how this place got here. All they know is it's nice. And they enjoy it. They want to be there. They want to build there. They want to raise their families there. Daniel Boone and the rest of the pioneers. Who, by the way, who were the people that helped Daniel Boone build the road through the Cumberland Gap in Boonesboro? Logan'stown and all that. Who who were they? Some of them we don't even know their names. Daniel Boone we know, but who were the rest of those guys? Church, I'm gonna tell you, those guys could have really been jealous and envious of those settlers coming in. The bankers and the government officials and the lawyers and everybody that's living large off of all my hard work. Are you hearing me, church? They could have been very jealous and very envious, but they weren't. Why weren't they? I'm going to tell you why. They all shared the same vision. I'm not just carving out a place for me and my family. 
but for all those that will come after me. I am part of something big, but at least I am a part of it. But I am just a part. I am just a part of it. But my part is important. 1 Corinthians 12, 15, he said this. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, is it not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? Verse 16 says, if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I am not part of the body. Is it therefore not a part of the body? Church, the pioneers were part of the process, but they were just a part of it. But they were a very important part of it. None of it would have been there had it not been for them. They played a very important part in what has become the greatest nation on the world, in the world. Now, the reason that I'm pointing all that out is because church planting is referred to as pioneering work. We are a church plant going on 16 years old. I went back and pulled out some of my notes from the foundational study of, of boot camp study that I, I went through years ago on church planting. And it said 15 to 20 years into a church plant, you reach your plateau. You have a vision, that vision grows, you start programs, programs, and you get up to a point where you're maintaining and you plateau. If you don't have a new vision at that point, you begin to decline. We're in that window right now, church. Are you hearing me? You begin to decline. First thing it goes is your programs stop. Pretty soon your vision stops. Pretty soon the only thing that is left is you're just maintaining what you have. And you're a dead, ineffective church. We are at that point right now. But God has given us a new vision, church. Because I, I was read, and it was really encouraging to me, it says, because at that point, if you don't get a new vision, you will die as a church. And so we're right there at that point, that 15 to 20 year window, where we plateau. Now, we have pioneered a work. We've carved something out of, a, out of a place in the frontier. But our story is not unique. Many, many churches have done exactly what we did. They discovered a wilderness. When I say a wilderness, it's a place spiritually that is untouched. And when we came into this area, and this is not a strike against anybody else. I'm just telling you the way I felt about it. This was a very depleted place, spiritually speaking. This is the very first Assembly of God church in this whole region. And I saw it as a place that was spiritually depleted. It was like a wilderness. And brother, there were some huge trees in the way that needed to be cut down. And all we had was axes. We didn't have anything to work with. Couldn't get anybody to help us. I tried to find a place to, to start the ministry. There was no place available. I went to the school system. They wouldn't let us in. Wouldn't help us. So we just started a church in the backyard. Then we moved into a two-bay garage. Then we got this facility, and it's a long story, but it was a miraculous thing that took place to help us get this. I can tell you about it sometime. Enemy attacks. Oh, my Lord. The Creek Rose. The Shawnee. The Cherokee. It's interesting, it's interesting that my ancestors are Cherokee, my mother's side of the family. Her, I don't know, three or four times removed uh, grandmother was a Mayaha. She was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian. Got a picture of her. 
Jeannie's grand, on her mama's side, her sometime removed grandmother was a full-blooded Shawnee Indian woman. That is interesting because the Shawnee and the, and the Cherokee, they didn't like each other. <laughs> and my kids are mixed between Shawnee and Cherokee. Uh, but I'm telling you, brother, the enemy was coming out of the woodwork when we first planted to work here. I mean, they were coming, the Tuscarora, the Crow, the Blackfoot, the, 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 uh, the Apache, I'm, I don't know. I'm just giving names to demons, all right? They don't really have those names. But we had plenty of attacks from plenty of places as we started to work here. Some from without, some from within. That doesn't stop, by the way, just because you're an established church. Are you hearing me? The enemy's always trying to, he's been defeated, though. Remember the song? Amen. He's been defeated. Amen. We need to remember that. But God gave us a vision for this area. Then that vision became a reality. That reality triggered growth, and growth brings about settlers. What I'm trying to tell you this morning, church, is settlers are on their way. Brother, the railroad is in, and the multitudes are coming. And you need to get ready for that. How are you going to receive them? The title of the message this morning is Pioneers versus Settlers. You see, the Assemblies of God is one of the few, maybe the only denomination that's still growing around the world. There are 20... I'm sorry, there's 67 million members in the Assemblies of God. One-third of those have been added in the last 10 years. Are you hearing me, church? 67 million, one-third of which was added in the last 10 years. The, the Assemblies of God is exploding around the world. And when that growth comes, how are we going to receive it? I believe it's going to continue to grow here. This is the warning that I feel the Lord brought, wanted me to bring to you this morning. We're pioneers. We've been pioneers. And, and somebody asked me, Pastor, are you going to pastor when we get into the new facility? And I said, I have no idea. That's not up to me. That's up to God. You know, I am a workhorse, as some of you know. I don't know if God's going to need a workhorse when we get over there. I'm going to have to make a transition from being a workhorse to being a racehorse. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. God knows. Maybe God will need a racehorse when we get over there. I don't know. That's not up to me. That's up to God. But I'll have a pioneer spirit. But as pioneers, sometimes when, when the pioneers built something, they be, could become very protective over that. In other words, we've worked hard to build this. I don't know if I can trust you with it. You don't have the blood and the sweat and the tears and the sacrifice in this like I do. You just kind of showed up, Mr. Banker, Mr. Lawyer, Mr. Land Office Worker. You don't have the work in this. I don't know if I can trust you with it. But the Bible says whether you're a pioneer or whether you are a settler, there's only one body, church. And this is what God wants you to hear. There's only one body. Verse 18, he said this, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. So we're pioneers. We've done all the hard work, but I don't know who God's going to bring in and what position he's going to put them in. He may take me out. Daniel Boone might fall. Not that I'm Daniel Boone, but I think you get this. Yeah. 
I should have worn a coonskin cap this morning. No, I don't. But I know where there's a coon. We could have probably skinned him out and I could put it. This work has our, I mean, it has our sweat in it, our tears, our blood, our sacrifice, our money. But church, I'm going to tell you something. I trust God to protect this work. It's not mine to protect. It belongs to him. I trust God to protect. He protects my friends and my family, the body of Christ. Pioneers can also be very jealous and envious Daniel Boone, those guys could have really been jealous, man. He did all this work, and these guys were coming in living big, and I got my milk cow and my chickens. Man, this guy's got everything. Got the finest, the newest of modern equipment, and I'm out here milking my cow, hoping the chickens are gonna, won't stop laying. And then the settlers come in, and they get all the positions, and they get the recognition. They prosper from all of my hard work. You know, we can get the attitude real quick that we did all the hard work and they enjoy all the harvest. Church, that should be a warning to you. We should never use the term we and they because we're all part of the same body. There is no we and they. It's just we. We're one body. And if God chooses to make you a foot, or a hand. If he chooses to make you an ear or an eye. If he chooses to make you a nose or an armpit. That's up to God, isn't it? Amen? So we need to guard against Satan's trap, which is envy and jealousy. James chapter 3, verse 13. I want you to read it with me. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his work has done, his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, Confusion, and listen to this, every evil thing are there. But that's huge right there. Where there's envy and strife, self-seeking, every evil thing is there. Man, you're opening the door for the demon. I mean, all the creeks and the Cherokee and the Shawnee, they're all coming in, brother. And they're going to scalp everything in there. Everything is evil, he says. Verse 17 says, but wisdom that is from above is first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. It is willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality, it's without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Church, we, need, we, don't, we don't want to become jealous and envious of people that come in and they suddenly get recognition that we feel like we should get because we're the ones that did all the hard work. Amen? Are you hearing me? I hope you're getting this and remember this for many, many years to come because pioneers can become very jealous and envious, protective. They also can become very possessive. Brother, I have seen this. How many of you have been in church for a long, long, long time? 
How many of you have been more, in more than a few churches? How many of you have seen possessiveness in the church? Brother, this is my, this is my organ. My mama played this organ. And I'm going to play this organ. And when I die, my daughter's going to play this organ. And ain't nobody else going to play this organ but my family. I know a church, the organist, it's rumored, is buried standing up facing the organ. Is that true? Is that true? You don't know. There was this little hedge and cedar bushes and with a little rail fence around it. And it wasn't big enough for a grave to lay this way. I'm thought oh, that's a mighty small young and buried in that grave site right there. They said, no, that's the organist. She wanted to be buried standing upright facing the organ. Well, what do you think was her God? I mean, I'm not saying, but what do you, it makes me think, you know, my organ. That's one reason we don't have an organ in this church. <laughs> I don't know about those things, man. They tell you if you're a pastor and you go to a new church, move the organ one inch at a time. Because you don't dare go in there and move the organ from there to over there, brother. You're going to be gone tomorrow if you do that. <laughs> Possessiveness. <laughs> Pioneers can do that. We built it. We should say what is done with it. <laughs> we built it. Belongs to us. It's our church. Psalms 127 one says, unless the Lord built a house, they labor in vain who built it. We built it? No, we didn't build it. God built the house. Are you hearing me, church? God built the house. And if he didn't, we all wasted our time down here. He told Peter, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In the book of Ephesians, he told husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself for it. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself. It's his as a glorious church. Now, we need to understand, I got into a big debate on Facebook one time about this. Somebody that was very close to me said that somebody invited me to church and I told them I would rather juggle chainsaws than to go to church. And I Googled, I, I couldn't resist, I probably shouldn't have done it, but I said, I'm sorry to hear that, I didn't realize you felt that way about church. I feel I should remind you that Jesus died for the church. It's very special to him. Come back. You got to be kidding me. Jesus died for brick and mortar. And I realized right then he had no clue what the church is. It is. It is. The church is not this. This is not the church. This is the church. It's the body of Christ. It's the spirit of God dwelling in you. He says, you are the temple of God. Spirit of God dwells in you. You don't need a building. That's why we started the church in my backyard. It was a church. There was no walls. You know, if it didn't rain and we had tropical, beautiful weather every day, I'd say just have church outside and forget the walls. Amen. We need to go in the highways and the hedges anyway. The church ought to be outside the walls, not just inside the walls. Oh, I'll preach another sermon if I ain't careful here. No, we should declare that this is my church as opposed to saying this is your church or this is their church. But when I say this is my church, I'm not talking about that I own it. I'm talking about that I belong to it. Jesus said that he wanted to present the church to himself. 
We belong to it. He said he gave himself for the church. Well, if he gave himself for the church, what should we be doing? Amen? We should be giving our life. When I say this is my church, what I'm saying is I am committed to this fellowship and to its mission. Are you? Is this your church? You don't own it. It belongs to God. But are you committed to it? Do you belong to it? Are you committed to its mission? We have a mission here. Some people don't know what our mission is. I'm going to write it down because I need, that's part of the new vision that we have is establishing what our mission is and what our vision is. The mission of the church is to produce in the lives of individuals and families positive, Christ-like transformation that is measurable. There should be measurable, positive transformation seen in you. If I can't measure the transformation that's taking place in you, there's no growth taking place in you. And our mission is to see and to produce measurable, positive, which means Christ-like transformation in the lives of individuals and families in the Central Virginia area. That's our mission. The vision is how we're going to do that. Our vision is to see that there is something beautiful inside of every single person that walks through the doors of this ministry and everybody that we meet. There is something beautiful inside of you. And as a master craftsman, which God has made you, we're going to work to bring out that beauty and make it something good and useful for the kingdom and the glory of God. That's our vision. But brother, I'm going to tell you something. That is a long and difficult process. That doesn't happen like that. Sometimes just discovering the beauty inside of someone. Now, I preached a whole sermon on that called An Old Chunk of Wood. You ought to get the copy of that message because that is our vision in sermon form. An old chunk of wood. Sometimes take an old chunk of wood and get it to the point that it's something beautiful and usable. That's a process. I mean, it's a process of going out in the woods and finding it, of cutting it down, of sawing it, of racking it up, letting it dry. I mean, this is pro- it's a long process. Then taking it down and running it through the planer and running it through the jointer and running it through the planer again and getting it the right size. And then you got to let it dry and acclimate to the weather again. And then you got to cut it to shape and then you got to glue it. And I mean, it is just a process that's unbelievable. And it takes time to do that. Then sometimes you run into knot holes and, and rotten chunks in the wood. And there's all kind of stuff that you find as you get into it and start working with it. And then you got to do something about that. And it's all kinds of things that you deal with just to get them to a place where you can make something good out of them. Now, this is the last time we're meeting in this part of the church. Next week, we're going to be over there. But what I want you to see about this and that is it is nothing but a tool. This building should not become our God. Now, brother, I'm going to tell you, it's nice over there. I can't wait to get in there. I don't know how I'm going to preach because I'm used to looking here. Now, I get over there, I got to look this way, and I got to look this way, and I got to look this way, and I don't know how I'm going to do that. But it's beautiful, and it's going to be really nice. If we're not careful, we can make it a God. It's not. It's a tool. 
And we should be very excited that we've got this new tool to work with. And I am excited. I'm going to use Gary for an example here this morning. Gary's a gardener. That man, he, Lindy, she fusses at him all the time. Don't plant so much. And what does he do? Every year he plants more and more, don't he? I'll tell you what you do. Take his tractor away. <laughs> and then take his rake and his hoe. Go hide them, you know. Let's say tomorrow I'm going to tell Gary, Gary, next year I want you to plant your garden just like you've been planting. Only you're not going to have a tractor. In fact, you're not going to have anything but a shovel, a, a pickaxe, and a rake. That's all I'm going to give you. I want you to plant the same garden you've just been planting. And I want you to look the same way. All right. And he gets out there, boy, and he just starts digging away. He doesn't have a tractor. He doesn't have a tiller. He doesn't have a mule, a plow, nothing. He's got a, a pickaxe, a shovel, and a rake, and that's it. And he works himself from daylight to dark every day to get that piece of ground broke up and planted and cultivated and everything. And he struggles too. And somehow by the end of the summer, he's got a pretty decent looking garden. Next year, I tell him, won't you do the same thing? And about three, four years down the road, he's finally like, you look, you drive by there and it's not pretty anymore. It's got weeds everywhere. Because he's tired of trying to get this job done. He doesn't have the right tools to do it with. Are you hearing me, church? Now I'm going to say, Gary, I'm going to tell you what, brother. I'm going to give you a tractor with a plow. I'm going to give you a disc to go behind it. I'm going to give you a five-foot tiller box to go with it. And I'm going to give you a, a, a work horse. What's the name of that tiller at Retine? A Troy-built workhorse rear tine tiller. All the fertilizer you want, all the seeds you want, and I want you to grow the same garden. And you ride by, man, that garden is pristine. There's no weeds in it. And Gary's sitting on the porch drinking iced tea. <laughs> Smooching with Linda. <laughs> Wouldn't he be a happier man? He's getting a whole lot more work done. A whole lot easier. That's all that is over there, church. Are you hearing me? It's a tool. That helps us get more work done easier. And we want to use it like that. It's not a God and we're not going to make a God out of it. Now pioneer sacrifice for those that follow. And those people that follow, they're going to need your help, church. They don't need you to be envious or jealous or protective or possessive. They need your help. Because settlers are not like pioneers. When settlers come in, they don't know all the hard work that you've done. They don't have the strength and the experience that you have. They haven't been there to clear the forest. They don't know what an Indian even looks like. Some of them don't even recognize the enemy. And when they see an Indian, they're like, oh, the Indians, oh, and they run off and they're scared. And you're like, it's just a creek. It's just a Shawnee. It's all right. Come here. I'm going to tell you how we defeated them in the past and we're going to whoop them again. Because you've got that experience. And they need your help. They panic when they see storms coming, when the winter is hard, when they're having to suffer through and work hard because they've never had to do that before. You have. You've been there with Daniel Boone when he tried to launch out and he failed and had to bury his own son and two of his friends. You were there again when, the, when he was come under attack and everybody had to scatter, run for their life. But you were also there when he prevailed and he pushed through and he was faithful and committed. And you see that their commitment and their faithfulness produces success because you were a part of it. 
You stayed and you endured to the end and you see what it has accomplished. And you know that every time the enemy shows up, you don't have to tuck tail and run. Because that's what settlers want to do. You know how to survive and thrive in those environments. The settlers want to shrink back and they want to run away. So when we try to see that positive transformation in people's lives, and we try to launch that by finding something beautiful in them, we know that it's going to take a long process. That includes, church, some of the settlers that's going to be coming in. And I want you to hear me on this. You may be sitting there in a class, and that settler that needs transformation is your teacher. And you're sitting there, matured, and grown to a level that they haven't even begun to arrive at yet in their life. How many of you that have been a teacher know this to be true? You learn much more than your students do. Isn't that true? You're there to teach them, but you learn much more than they do. A lot of what you learn, you learn from them. Isn't that true? I learn a great deal from you guys. I learn from your example. Sometimes I'm like, man, they're more dedicated than I am. I get paid to do this. <laughs> I don't know if I would be that committed. I learn from that. It's challenging. It's convicting. And sometimes you're going to be sitting there as a pioneer that's learned all these things and you're having to help see and produce measurable positive transformation in the settler that has got a position that maybe you felt like you should have since you did all the hard work. And you're there to help them and to see them grow. You have to do that through the process. A part of our vision is we want to be a process driven church not an event driven church and a lot of churches this is where they fall short an event driven church is a church that they they work from one event to the next event to the next event to the next event hoping that one of these events is really going to do something to transform the lives of the people that you're taking to that event a process driven church on the other hand is something that works through the process day in and day out. I compare it to this. How many of you know what a planer is? Anybody work with wood? A planer is a, it's a machine that it's got two long knife blades that turn like this, one on the top, top and one on the bottom. And you stick a piece of wood in it, and this thing is turning, and it cuts wood off of the, well, it's got a roller. I'm sorry. It's got a roller on the bottom. It rolls it through, and a knife blade on the top. And it's cutting large amounts of wood off of it. It removes a lot of material. And you crank this thing down, and you can take a board this thick. If, if you look at the handrails on the wall of the sanctuary, all right, we had to put handrails up the wall. The board that is against the wall is a three-quarter inch pine board. That board was given to me by a gentleman over on River Road. It was an inch and a half, two by, well, it was a, I'm sorry, two inch by six inch pine board and I needed a board to go on the wall and I didn't have a three-quarter inch board so I ran it through the planer and kept running it till I turned it from a two-inch board to a three-quarter inch board by planing it down all right that's what a planer is it moves lots of material really really fast all right an event 
When you go to an event, it's like a piece of wood going through a planer. It removes a lot of material fast. <clears throat> Sometimes events do some tremendous things in the lives of people that go to those huge events. It removes a lot of material, but it's still rough. A process-driven church is like sandpaper ministry. It's our day-to-day -day interactions with one another. We're rubbing off on each other. Because when you run that sandpaper across that wood, some of the sandpaper comes off on the wood. Some of the gritty part, it comes off on the wood. But it's also removing a lot of the material. It's both rubbing off on you and it's rubbing you off. It's painful. Church, a process-driven church, a church that's going to be successful in seeing measurable positive transformation is a sandpaper church. That's when, let me tell you something. If you're here at this church and you're happy, just give it time. Somebody's going to say something, probably me, that's going to offend you. And when that happens, everybody is going to see where you are spiritually. Because it's at that point we're going to see just how much Jesus you really have in you. Because a lot of times Jesus will let you be offended not to see how the person that offends you reacts, but to see how you're going to react. And when you're offended, when you have that sandpaper ministry rub something off of you, it's a chance for you to get to grow. Chance for you to get to be smooth. Because see, that planer will take your rough edges off, but that sandpaper, that sandpaper is what smooths the edges and makes it really smooth and usable. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes. Let me see. I'm going to close here because I think everybody's got the point now. In closing, some settlers will stay here and some's going to move on. You may as well get ready for that. Some will stay. Some's going to keep on moving. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. God's going to move them to other places. We've had some people come through that, I, man, I would have put a, a chain and shackle around their leg and kept them forever and ever. But God had some other place. How many of you remember Jeff and Lisa Lane? Huh? Weren't they just top shelf quality? God, love them, man. I love those guys. And the Lord took them to Atlanta, Georgia. That's the Bible Belt. God, they don't need any more Christians down there. We have the wilderness up here, Lord. We need, you know. But God sometimes moves people to other places. Some people want to settle in Boonesburg. Some people want to go to Harrellstown. You know, that's up to them, you know. Some people's going to stay and some people's going to move on. God knows who needs to be here. Verse 18 says, but God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. If somebody's supposed to be here and they move over there, you know what's going to happen? Sandpaper ministry. When you're not where you're supposed to be, you better hope God gets the sandpaper out. Amen? You better hope he does. See, it doesn't discourage me when people, even if they leave for the wrong reasons or they leave for the right reasons, and I know in my heart they should be here, used to just devastate me. But experience has taught me God's going to work on them. They're still a part of the body. You know, they've just been detached. My hand's laying over there. It's supposed to be over here. <laughs> you know, God's going to work on that. I was, I've had sandpaper ministry. I've been outside the will of God before. 
And during that season, God didn't give up on me. He's not going to give up on you. Not everyone is going to share our vision. I'm going to close with this. Ministry is like being a bus driver. Being a pastor is like being a bus driver. You got a lot of different buses. God's taking a bunch of different buses. They're all going to the same destination. They're just, God's taking them in different paths and stuff. This one's going through Boonesboro. This one's going through Harrellstown. This one's going through French Lick. And they're all going different places. They're going to arrive at the same destination. And you're driving the bus. But how many of you know if, if a guy's driving a bus and somebody comes up there and starts fighting over the steering wheel, what's going to happen to that bus? It's like, I'm going to wake up Bubba because he ain't never seen a crash like this before. That bus is going to crash. You can't fight over who's driving the bus. All right, come on, somebody. Can't have two drivers. God sends us in the direction that he chooses. That is what is called our vision. And our vision is to find the beauty that's in the people here in Central Virginia. I want to make you the very best man you can be, the best husband you can be, the best father you can be. Ladies, I want to make you the very best woman that you can be, pure and holy, the best wife that you can be, best mother that you can be. Kids, I want you to be the best student you can be, the best obedient child you can be, be the best employee you can be. We want to bring out the best in people. I want to see Jesus work in your life. I want you to know his power, his victory, his anointing. You can have peace and joy and happiness and victory in your life. That's our vision. But not everybody shares that vision. Some people are going in different directions. And when they come in, we have to try to determine, are they a part of this vision? Now, I want you to stay with me. Don't lose me here now. Because if this is your church, you are committed to it, you're committed to its mission and its vision, all right? And when people come in, we have to determine, are they supposed to be here? This was so hard for me to learn because not every warm body that walks through the door belongs here. They may need to be on a different bus. This is not their bus. Because sometimes you have issue Christians they have issues. We need to, first of all, make sure that everybody sees where we're trying to go. We need to make our mission clear, make our vision clear. And then we need to determine, is this an issue, Christian? People that have a different vision and they want to inject their vision into your ministry vision. That's a real danger zone. Took me a long time to learn this too. I've learned a few things in the past 16 years, church. Hello. Aren't you glad? Boy, that's a hard knot. It's hard to get stuff through there, brother. But eventually it soaks in, you know. I had a very, very, very good friend, and I'm not saying this in a bad way about him at all. He loves the Lord, godly man. He was in, he was in a church, great church, had a great vision, but his vision was just different. He had a heart for missions. And his mission in particular, I won't name it because if he hears this, I don't even know I'm picking on him. <laughs> Not picking on him, but talking about him. He had a vision for a part of the world. And his whole effort was to help those people in that part of the world. And he came to this church and he tried to get this church to buy into that vision. And he tried to get the church to become a support base for that mission. It began to divide that church. Why? 
because that wasn't the church's vision. That church had a vision for the area where it lived. Missions was a part of that vision, but it was not the vision. And so over a period of time, he finally, because he was a godly man, he come to understand this is divisive. It's dividing the church. And the pastor and the leadership in the church understood that. You've got a different vision. You've got an issue. You're trying to use the church to support your vision. When you have two visions, you have division. And so they finally determined, this is the wrong bus for you. And so he left, and it was a good leave. I mean, he left with their blessing, and he went, and he started a ministry to support that mission. It's a good thing. Sometimes people come in, they don't belong on your bus. Sometimes you have what I call a tin shekel and a shirt vision or, or people. Ten shekels and a shirt is a story in the Old Testament where a priest, a Levite priest came in and the tribe of Israel said, we don't have a priest. Come and be our priest. And he prayed about it. God said, go there. And he went and he became their priest. Pretty soon, here come the tribe of Dan. And the Dan says, we don't have a priest either. You come and be our priest. We'll give you ten shekels and a shirt. And so he took the better deal. Wasn't what God willed, but he took the better deal. A tin shekel in a shirt Christian is a guy that's just trying to build a resume for a better position. We've had some of those in here. I had one guy, he had six families in my church ready to leave and split the church and start a new church. When I, somebody called me and said, do you know what this man's doing? I'm like, I have no idea. He said, he's going to six church families in your, your church and he's talking them in, trying to talk them in to leave to start a new church so he can pastor it. <laughs> as soon as I found that out, he didn't come back anymore. He was on the wrong bus. Are you hearing me, church? Yes. Not everybody that walks through your door belongs here. But what we need to do, and we're going to work through all of that. But you as a pioneer, whether you're a settler or a pioneer, we see settlers come in to reap the harvest of all your hard work. They don't seem to appreciate you. They don't even know who you are. They don't know what you've done. You're like the guys that helped Daniel Boone. Well, we don't know who helped Daniel Boone. We don't know what their name is. Sometimes the settlers are going to look at you like that. Or if you got someone that just needs to be on another bus. This is what I want to close with. I want you to respond to both of them with love. They're still a part of the body of Christ. Maybe this is not their bus. They need to be on that bus or that bus. Or maybe they're a settler that's coming in and they're taking all this, enjoying all your hard work. They don't even appreciate you and don't appreciate what you've done. You love them, church. I'm telling you, if you want this church and your life to grow in God and to be blessed, you love them. Because he said in verse 4, chapter 13, love suffers long. It suffers. It hurts sometimes to love people. But it's always kind. It doesn't envy. Where there's envy, there's every evil work, church. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. Well, look at what I've done. You just don't know the hard work went into this. I, I remember when we, where was you? I don't remember seeing you here when we were doing all this. And now you're in here. No, it doesn't parade itself around brag about what we've done and where were you and you should have been here and la 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 it's not puffed up it does not behave rudely 
It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't think evil. It does rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. You ready for the settlers? I said, are you ready for the settlers? Yeah. Amen. You're going to love them when they get here. Amen. 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 Won't you stand to your feet if you would, please? You know, I told you our mission is to find something beautiful in every person. There used to be a song back in the 70s that says, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But Jesus made something beautiful of my life. Every person has something beautiful inside. And the only way that you're going to bring that out is that you let Jesus come into your heart and take that and transform it into something good and useful. My prayer is every person in here has had that experience. And if you haven't this morning, if you're here and you've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something, church. He died on a cross for you. He paid everything for you. I, I, liked, I liked the way Anthony Saladino put it when he was here. He said he was witness to somebody, you remember that? And the guy says, you mean to tell me that Jesus is the only way? That doesn't seem fair. Remember that? And he said he prayed. He said, God, what do I say to this person? And he said, the Lord told him to say this. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. There was no sin in his life whatsoever. He was a perfect man. He didn't do anything wrong. And for that, they arrested him. They brought in false witnesses against him that lied about him. They took him out, this perfect, sinless man, and they beat him. The Bible says that he was beat so severely that he didn't even look like a man. Then they took his blood riddled body and put a cross on his shoulder and made him carry his own instrument of death to the place of his execution. Weak from all the bloodshed, he fell under the weight of that cross. And they put it on the shoulders of Simon Serene to carry that for him. And they took him on a hill, they laid him on that cross and they drove nails into his hands and into his feet. And they hung him on the cross naked in shame and ridicule. They spit on him. They blindfolded him and slapped him and said, if you're really a prophet, tell us who slapped you. And they watched him as he died on that cross. And he did all of that for you. That is unfair. And that's the message that we all need to hear today. Jesus Christ died for me so that I could be transformed into something beautiful. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. 
Are you here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior? Jesus Christ loves you. And he wants to come into your heart and transform you into something beautiful. Will you trust him today? If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Bernie, I am not a Christian. But your words has touched my heart today. And I want to become a Christian today. Will you please pray with me? If you're here this morning and you'd like to trust Jesus today, would you just lift your hand and say, I would like to make Jesus my Savior, my Lord, the God of my life today. Is there anyone that I could pray with today? I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask everybody to just bow your head if you would, please. While I'm praying, the Bible says watch and pray. I'm just going to look around the room and nobody's watching but me. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I know that my heart is not right with God. But I want to take the first step in making things right with God. Will you please pray for me? And I'll at least take that first step. Will you please pray for me as you close in prayer? I want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you to just lift your hand while I pray. And I'd like to pray for you today before we leave. Father God, I come before your throne in Jesus' name. God, I pray for those here in Central Virginia, Assembly of God Church. Lord, we are so honored and privileged to be a part of this ministry. God, we are favored, Lord, to be able to do the things that we've done. A lot of the work that we've done, we've done, it's been hard. It's been sacrificial, God. But Lord, it's been a pleasure to do it. God, you said that the master doesn't come in and tell the servant to sit down and I will wait on you. But the servant tells the master to sit while I serve you, Master. Because it's our duty to serve you, Lord. So God, we've served you. And Father, we look forward to serving you still in the future. And Lord, as we leave this room, God, this old sanctuary and move into the new one, God, I pray that the power of the Spirit, oh God, will go with us, Lord. God, you will do awesome, incredible things in our new facility. Lord, we want to serve you there even better than we have served you here. God, give us wisdom, Lord, and understanding. Give us patience and kindness and love and grace and mercy, Lord, to help those that need your help, Lord. Help us to see beyond their smiling face and see their broken, crying heart, God, that we can minister to each and every person that we meet. I ask you to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for the body of Christ this morning, Lord. As we leave this place, Lord, go with us, God. Protect us, God. Give us boldness, Lord, to share your word, Lord. Give us opportunity to reach people for your cause. Now, Father, I bless your people. I bless their home. Make it a refuge, O oh God. And escape from the world, Lord, a place where you're honored, a place where you're revered, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.